As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Ryan Bailey and my voice is caressing your ear holes right now via the medium of podcast in order to fill you in on this week's tranche of Champions League matches. Joining me to do so is a man who is to soccer analysis what the Justice League Snyder Cut is to wasting four hours of your life, <laughs> i.e. a perfect match, Taylor Rockwell. <laughs> hey, buddy. Have you watched it yet? No, I'll never watch it. I watched... Um, <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Sucker Punch. I watched a movie called Sucker Punch by Zack Snyder. That, oh boy. that satiated my need for his content for the rest of my life. Man, Sucker Punch is a journey that you went on. Uh, I credit you, and I have never seen it, nor will I ever. It was an airplane watch. I think it was a captive uh. audience situation. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> never again. But I'm seeing people getting very excited about this Snyder cut. They're excited yeah. to watch a movie that was twice as long as the original. No. Yeah, with worse CGI. Should be fun. All movies should be 90 minutes. Any movie that's 91 minutes or longer yes. should be banned. That's my opinion. <laughs> I support that. Oh, I'm joining us there. You just heard his voice. Mr. Graham Rutherford, who's nominated, by the way, for the best Grammy at the first annual Grammy Awards. How are you doing, Graham? I am good. I've been called up to the big leagues, big leagues today. Boys, Champions League. Doesn't get <laughs> yeah. any bigger than this. That's right. Well, in a few years when UEFA make the Champions League on the weekends and they relegate uh, normal soccer to the weekdays, you'll be uh, big leagues every weekend on the weekend review, Graham. Yep. The European Super League uh, sponsored by some uh, golf oil company. That'll be me. <laughs> They're totally going to do that, aren't they? That never really occurred to me. That That is going to be the ultimate goal, isn't it? To have Champions League on the weekends. Oh, definitely. Yeah. They've already mentioned that, and they've mentioned, oh, maybe we'll boy. get into this later, but that is it the Swiss model of uh, having the Champions League, 32 teams, but basically 10 group games for every uh, every team, and the top eight of those 32 will go through automatically, then the last 16 have playoffs for the final eight games. It means a lot of mediocre, meaningless games in the group stages. Yeah, that's the future, guys. And I feel like in the fine red print of that, like the very end of the contract concludes with, and you may go through no matter what. Like, isn't that part of the deal as well? <laughs> she, it is indeed. <laughs> um, guys, before we go any further, I've got to be serious for a second. I have a prepared statement I'd like to read out, if that's okay. 
<clears throat> I, Ryan Bailey, have always believed from the bottom of my soul that Yunus Musa <laughs> would declare his national team loyalties to the US MNT. He bleeds red, white, and blue. That's the red, white, and blue from the American flag, not the British one, to be clear. <laughs> Any inference that I'd not believe Musa would represent this fine nation in its quest to lift the 22, 26, and 2030 World Cups is fake news and an egregious attack on my character. I request that the privacy of myself and my family are respected at this difficult time. Thank you very much. And lastly, f*** all of you. <laughs> wow. Ryan, starting off with a, a punchy vibe today is what I'm going to say. That was quite I the sign off. <laughs> I might bleep that. But yeah, I think... Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to get that off my chest, guys, because there's been a lot of talk this week, a lot of fake news flying around. I'm, I'm Musa for the USA all the way, and I always have been. And you look back at all the podcasts and all the documented evidence to the contrary, it's not true. Okay? Thank you. I feel like there's some contradictory sentiments in that statement that you just read. <laughs> I've learned from watching politics in this country for the past four years or so that you can get away with that kind of thing. So I thought I'd try it. It's better if you blame your kids. Like if you said my kids were the ones who said Yunus Musa would play for England and, and I had to kind of like honor their truth. But then when they changed their minds, I could reflect more accurately the reality of the situation. Also, I got caught. That's, that's how I understand it of late. Now, if you get caught doing something, you celebrate it, don't you? I'm taking the Ted Cruz route here. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's that's the way to go. Sure, <laughs> model your life on Ted Cruz, and I think everything's going to go great. <laughs> oh, that Wolverine gentleman. Anyway, uh, I was going to. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. Anyway, should we talk about Champions League? That's what we came here to do, gentlemen. Sure. The quarterfinals are now set. Only two non-winners of the competition are left in the competition, both of whom are Petro Dollar Fueled, that's Paris Saint-Germain and Man City, the other quarter-finalists, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, Chelsea, Liverpool, uh, Porto and Real Madrid. So we are going to talk about the four games that happened this week. Why don't we start off with one of those aforementioned Petro Dollar clubs who took on Borussia Mönchengladbach, that's Manchester City I'm referring to, who got a 2-0 win on the night this week, 4-0 on aggregate at their famous home, the Pushkas Arena. Um, Graham, City, City were completely dominant in this game. It was, it was one of those ones, you know, you hear this phrase that City are playing a different sport. And you see it, some, uh -huh. you heard it a lot in sort of 2018, where they, they were playing a different sport to their opponent. But that felt like that was kind of happening here as well, didn't it, Graham? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is surely City's best chance of winning this whole thing. I know, they've, I know they've had good chances before and they were expected to do better last season when they went out to Lyon. They went out to last season, I think. Yeah, it yep. was Lyon. Yeah. Yeah. All the seasons have merged into one for me. I, I, I can't <laughs> remember uh, who they went out to. But yeah, they, they are, they're not only, I think, by quite some distance, the strongest in the competition, but the, the, the field feels weaker this season than it has been I mean it was sim you know it was similar it's similar kind of strength to last season but obviously Bayern Munich and City have kind of switched places where Bayern feel a little bit weaker and City have got stronger but this performance just it, it never really felt like Gladbach were going to offer anything in this game and just because City com completely dominated them for me it's it's kind of proof that that City have uh They've evolved to a point where they they don't they, they are best when they don't play with a central striker. Aguero came on for the last fifteen minutes. I think mm. I read that he received three passes in those fifteen minutes, and I think there was an athletic piece from uh, Sam Lee, who is the the city correspondent for the Athletic, saying that Aguero was complaining about teammates not passing to him. Well, part of the reason the teammates weren't passing to him was he was making sa the same runs as 
is uh, Raheem Sterling and and uh, another kind of midfielders, Phil Foden, who I thought was really good in this game. So, yeah, I, I don't. I think I've said this before in the podcast. I don't feel like the strict strikerless system is a short term solution anymore for City. I think it gets the best out of the players that they've got. And uh, last season, it just felt like Bayern Munich were nailed on champions from the moment the quarterfinals started. Once they got past Chelsea last season, Bayern Munich, it just felt like they were nailed on champions. And I feel the same way about the City this year. I'll be really surprised if they don't win it. What if they face Bayern Munich in the next round, Graham? Um, they'll beat Bayern Munich, I think. Okay. I'd agree with that. I, I, I think it's it's like they seem like... Bayern and City seem like the two obvious like favorites if they were somehow able to avoid each other until the final. That's like on like that's maybe more heart than it is head because to Graham's point, I think when you look at that Bayern team and the injuries they've had, some of the absences, some of the players having to fill in in different positions, they're definitely still very strong and obviously haven't lost in I think the joint second like most number of games consistently. That that's a stat that made sense. You get what I'm <laughs> saying. They they basically have done very well in the Champions League the past couple seasons. And yet it does feel like if they came up against Man City, I would back Man City just because obviously they've spent some money, but they have the strength and depth and they seem to have figured some things out. And Pep Guardiola has this team playing cohesive and aggressive soccer across the field. Uh, I, I, Yeah, I think I would go with Man City over Bayern Munich. And that feels weird. It feels wrong, but it also feels right. Feels wrong, feels right. Yeah, Yeah. I agree with that too. And I think um, a big part of that is because Bayern are allergic to clean sheets as well. But we can get onto Mm -hmm. that later. Now... Pep uh, starting off here, as, as, as Graham mentioned, without the strike, with Bernardo up top uh, in a 4-2-3-1. Not the classic Pep formation here. And this is the kind of, well, this isn't the kind of game, but there, there are Champions League games where Pep overthinks things. I'm thinking, you know, that Spurs one not that long ago with that bonkers game. Uh, two, that was two seasons ago, wasn't it? And there are times when Pep switches to a 4-2-3-1 when he starts to overthink things. And that was kind of, it, it was a downfall after they last won the title, I felt, when they started doing that. But here, this 4-2-3-1 seems to have worked really well. And it, this might be the best lineup that City have at the moment, uh, Taylor. I mean, Raheem Sterling's not there, but you could just, um, maybe that's with good cause. I felt like this, is, this was peak City. Do, am I, am I on to something there, uh, Taylor? I think you are. And and it's amazing to say that about a City team that didn't have Fernandinho in the starting 11, didn't even have Zinchenko, who has become a sort of reliable starter uh, at left back. And so right. Joao Cancelo, you have uh, Gundogan and Rodri, both of whom are in great form. And Rodri especially seems to be kind of fitting into the system really well. And yet, like John Stones ma- making his uh, return this season has been interesting to watch because that is not a thing I expected to happen. I think a lot of it comes down to Ruben Dias being a very good partner for him. But yeah, across the board, there's just players of various backgrounds, like Phil Foden coming through the academy versus other players being brought in for lots of money. I just feel like you you have this strange combination of a team that don't have obvious parts that you would think of them as needing. They don't have that Robert Lewandowski person leading the line that all defenses are going to be afraid of. Instead, they have lots of different people who defenses should be and are afraid of. Um, Graham, you mentioned Phil Foden as well, um, who's uh, included in the upcoming England squad and is likely to play a part in England's activities this summer, I would suggest. He had a very, very good game here. The assist uh, for the first goal was a no-look assist, which uh, threw the defence off of that. was an absolutely wonderful little touch from him. The uh, Stockport Iniesta. He, who is, what, what kind of player do you think he is? Because I've seen him compare more to David Silva than, than an Iniesta. What do you think, Graham? 
Yeah, he he is a difficult player to nail down. Other than he's really good, isn't he? Like, like is it, this, is I, I, this kind I, of can be enough. I feel like. Yeah, but, I, but I've like I don't to I, to I don't really know what his position. It would be difficult for me to to pin. I mean, I'm looking at the who scored graph here of where they have him. They've got they've got him on the on the left wing. I feel like on in this game he he was obviously out there for some of the match, but I, I don't feel like that that indicates where his role was. In this team, and I think that right. is, I think that's indicative of this Man City attack as, as a whole. You know, Bernardo Silva, when they put him down on paper as the centre forward, but he's, he's he's not really the centre forward. You know, he comes deep. De Bruyne burst past him. Foden burst past him. And um, for me, this this was kind of the I think anyway. I mean, you could you could maybe make a case for Sterling in for I guess Mares, and then maybe shift. Silva, even then, I'm not too sure. This, I think, this there's a good case. This is the strongest city team at the moment, um, and and Foden is just he's he's such a he's such a brilliant player. I mean, he's he's surely got to start for England in the Euros, right? In this form, you'd hope so. You'd hope so, definitely. Yeah, and I think you're right there about the the fluidity they have up front. It was Foden, De Bruyne, and Bernardo almost interchanging and maybe they were offered a decent amount of space by Gladbach in this game but they 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 just seem to have this freedom to roam around and they just look really threatening when they're on the ball and they're, they're picking up picking up and going forward it was very very impressive stuff from City here indeed which makes it all more of a shame that um they're going to get knocked out by Porto Taylor <laughs> I mean, if Joe has anything to say about it, I'm sure that's how it's going to go down. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think City will be feeling pretty confident about whomever they're going to draw. I think there is always that risk uh, that you mentioned earlier of Pep Guardiola overthinking it or getting too hyped for a big game and trying something kind of totally out there and it not really working. It does feel like the difference with this City team is just that like they've been together for so long but have clearly practiced a lot of different looks that they can have that interchange and it doesn't really mean they lose anything or the pace of the attack slows down mm. which I don't fully understand how that's possible that you can have so much rotation and movement off the ball and yet everybody seems to know where everybody is at any given moment it's like they all have like the uh, the GPS tracker that you get in FIFA where you can see everybody on the field at, at, as you're playing like I don't really understand how they're able to do this so well but they are, and it's how Phil Foden is able to find space, but then know that he has the time and space to turn and go at the defense, but knows where his runners are going to be and knows how to lay it off really well. I thought that second goal was so important, not just because it really does kill off the entire fixture, mm-hmm. but also because the first one is Kevin De Bruyne. It's City counterpressing and being aggressive and getting opportunities and taking them, but this goal, the second goal, felt much more like City kind of ripping open Gladbach and always via like just smart movement and smart plays from individuals while still playing as a group. And I think that it ends up with Gundogan with a touch and a finish, and it's just sort of like very basic stuff done very, very well. They essentially make the simple things look simple when they're in fact very, very complicated. And that, to me, is the testament to a well-coached team that are going to go far in this tournament, which probably does mean, yeah, they're going to lose to Porto next round. The- well, that's, that's Sorry to interrupt, Graham, but that's something we say about Messi a lot, isn't it? He makes really difficult things look very easy. And I think there's a lot of players... Uh, why don't we shout out KDB, Kevin De Bruyne here, because I think mm-hmm. he's, he's someone who does that as well. And he totally ran that midfield in this game. Very, very impressive performance from him. And proving to us that he's got a left foot as well with that first goal. <laughs> 
Very good stuff. <laughs> oh, I think he, he even, him just kind of dropping wherever he wanted to be, sometimes he would pick the ball up as like a right back, sometimes as a left back, sometimes as a central midfielder, but that meant Bernardo Silva was dropping in a little bit deeper, and I think that left Gladbach pretty uncomfortable because now does the back line step even more? Do they leave more space behind? Do they stay where they are but create or allow for overloads and other spots of the field? I just think that mobility but awareness is such a difficult thing to make happen, mm. but with Kevin De Bruyne, I guess running the show, maybe less so, but for Gladbach, I had some sympathy because you could see them not really knowing how to put out the fires that were routinely spreading. Well, um, why don't we talk about Schalke? I mean, Gladbach, um, <laughs> who've lost uh, seven games in a row now. It's, yeah. uh, the, the Marco Rosa situation continues, uh, Graham. Uh, not, not a very good performance from them. Nope, they've got Schalke this weekend. <laughs> so, oh, boy. Uh, Spider Man be- meme. It better not be eight defeats in a row. I mean, in, in all seriousness, though, if 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 Gladbach do if they even if they draw that game, it's surely getting to the point where Gladbach would be would be better. Just uh, you know, I, I don't know whether you sack Rose or or how that affects them getting compensation from Dortmund, yeah. but but, cer- but certainly sidelining him and and getting someone else in for the end of the season because this it- this is just not working. It has to be financial the reason why he's still there, right? It has to be something to do with compensation. They can't fire him. Surely. Yeah, uh, probably. And it's probably also like like it gets to a point where Dortmund maybe help with that compensation a little bit just because when they made that announcement, it felt like a little bit like it it seemed like a move that was going to happen. But it still felt like a bit of a coup because you've gotten this this manager to come over from a club who are your Champions League rivals, who's this up and coming talent who's very exciting and has got his team playing really, really well. What's he going to do with Dortmund? If he could get Gladbach playing that well on a much smaller budget, what could he do with Dortmund and their resources? And it's an exciting thing. And now I feel like as these results keep racking up, it becomes more of a like, are we sure this is the one we want? And I feel like if anything, Dortmund just want to get him out of there quickly so that he can stop losing games. And maybe some of that isn't so obvious as we move into him actually taking over Dortmund with a like 17 game losing streak at that point. Mm, yeah, well, uh, Gladbach not accounting for themselves terribly well in this game all the same. Any any more on this game, gents, uh, before we move on to the next one? I, I will I will perhaps suggest that um, Pep Guardiola told off uh, Zinchenko this week for even mentioning a quadruple. Yeah. And he's done that before, that kind of thing, sort of trying to lower expectations deliberately. But I don't know, guys, it's looking quite good. Yeah. I mean, if you're a City fan, I suppose. Yeah, yeah for them, like yes. Not for, not for the world in general. Yeah. But yeah. The, the but, only thing that can stop them is if Guardiola wears that jacket again that he wore <laughs> in the first leg. <laughs> uh, yeah. my, my, my only other final like small note on this one, which is maybe a thing that's happened frequently elsewhere, but I noticed in this game, was uh, City doing a wall in front of the wall when they would have free kicks. Mm. In the 35th minute especially, when they have a, a pretty dangerous uh, position free kick, they put four of their own players in front of Gladbach's wall and then have them break and run into different positions. And that suddenly makes a lot of sense about how you could create a lot of chaos and cause a lot of problems. And I look forward to them doing even more design set pieces that don't make sense, but then do make sense and do cause problems. Well, I think we can talk more about that exact kind of thing when we move on to our next game, Real Madrid against Atalanta. We're going to do so after this short break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, we are back. Real Madrid against Atlanta. This one at Atlanta? No, that's a place in Georgia. Atalanta. This there one finished 3-1 to Los Blancos, 4-1 on aggregate after a 1-0 win for Madrid in the first leg. Uh, Real Madrid back in the quarterfinals after a two-year absence. It just seemed, uh, Taylor, that they just had too much quality for Atalanta at the end of the day. For all of Atalanta's virtues, it was just, you know, they've got Kroos and Modric, and that, that makes it so much easier for them. It certainly doesn't hurt. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think I think this, this is sort of a things-can-be-two-things moment. Uh, I do think it's Real Madrid having just better talent across the board, and Atalanta can make up to that make up like for that to some extent by having players that are all playing this cohesive style that are pulling people out of position and creating overloads and that's a thing that they've done for the past couple seasons it feels like maybe it's running a little thin at this point that maybe Gasparini needs a like a significant number of new players or maybe it just requires an, uh, a managerial change but it does seem like they're running out of steam and though they had a very good game plan it felt like they had a specific way they wanted to approach this game they wanted to create overloads and cause Madrid problems and instead Real Madrid were just able to kind of pounce on the opportunities that were presented and they did not miss those chances Atalanta I think did not take their chances and Mm -hmm. didn't set themselves up to get enough of those opportunities and in the end I think it was just sort of those top tier players like Luka Modric like Karim Benzema made the difference they did indeed. And with with Atalanta, Graham, it felt like to me when I was watching this, they, they just lacked the punch that they usually have in the final third. They were just a bit soft there. They weren't quite their attacking selves. Maybe maybe they were forced into this position, but they were a bit more conservative than I expected. Yeah, it didn't help that they were sabotaged by their own goalkeeper, uh, Sportiello, <laughs> yeah. who, who obviously yeah. gives away... I mean, look, there's, there's still a lot for Modric to do. I thought that the way he controlled that and instantly took mm-hmm. it into a stride and then also had the presence of mind to square it for, for Benzema um, was fantastic. But obviously it comes from a goalkeeping error. And even the third goal scored by Asensio, feel like he should be hmm. doing better to protect his, first, his, uh, his near post as well. So... Yes, I don't think that helped things. And obviously, once you go 2-0 down in a, in a tie after 30 minutes, then it's going to have a natural effect on on you know your, your motivation and, and your belief. And I think that yeah. was one of the things that was lacking from, from Atalanta. I, I do fear for Atalanta a little bit in that, you, you know, when, when they... You feared that they would they would get, they would be picked apart by teams and t- bigger teams with bigger transfer budgets and and it, it, they haven't all gone in one summer and say that players like from Monaco did that that one year when they did really well but just just player by player they seem to be losing so obviously Papu Gomez leaves in uh, January after the the fallout with uh, Gasparini. Timothy Castagna leaves last summer and it feels like they, they've not really totally replaced him as, as, as well in the fullback position. So it just feels like player by player, they're losing a little bit of their identity with Atalanta. And and, and they, they did kind of capture lightning in a bottle a little bit. And to do it a second time is, is going to be uh, really, really difficult. 
Yeah. yeah, and and I I agree with everything Graham said, and I would like double down on the idea that like the motivation and belief not being there is such an important thing when you're going up against a team like this Real Madrid squad who are, if nothing else, like ruthless in their efficiency when they need to be. And I think Graham, you're right to like spotlight Modric bringing that ball down, driving forward, Benzema staying in an offside position until the last moment, and then hopping back on side to kind of throw off the defenders and then just finishing really really well. It's very, like, it's very technical and very good. It's also just very direct and sort of going right back at Atalanta. And I contrast that with the way Atalanta seemed to be trying to pick apart Real Madrid. And at least four times in the opening 15 minutes, they would get into good positions, they would get numbers forward, and they went for one final pass through the middle, which I, I don't know if that was, like, part of their game plan, that that's why they went with Luis Muriel up top by himself, is they were trying to have him sort of hold up or link up play, but I kept seeing them, rather than try to work it around the outside of the box or kind of combine in a different sort of sequence, it routinely was just kind of balls into the center that were either cut out or immediately under pressure and had to be uh, played backwards. But it just, it, there was a hesitancy there that I didn't expect from Atalanta, especially given the way the first leg went. So mm-hmm. Ryan, to your initial question, like, yeah, it just felt like Atalanta sort of were setting up to try to cause Real Madrid problems, but then themselves always being a little bit hesitant, a little bit nervous. And maybe when you have a goalkeeper passing directly to the player you absolutely don't want to pass to, that doesn't build confidence either. Yeah, that's obviously suboptimal for a team to, uh, yeah. to do that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> it, it seems like, yeah, they, they, they gave a few gifts to Real Madrid in this game, that first goal certainly. And Graham mentioned that the third goal, the Asensio goal, just leaving two white shirts on the overlap completely unmarked for one of whom was Asensio and to give up possession on on the halfway line relatively easily to start that move as well. It was a, a little bit disappointing from Atalanta, but let us not take anything away from Real Madrid here. Uh, Graham, with a, with a back three, with a 3-5-2 with Mendy and Vasquez as uh, wingbacks in this, this was a, uh, an interesting move from Zidane. Yep, and it was a, it's a shape that you you mentioned it in your notes, and I'm, I'm glad you did because it was something that that struck me during the match. I, I feel like it's a shape that suits this this group of uh, Real Madrid players pretty well. Mm. Um, the form of of Nacho recently, he's been a bit of a surprise star for Real Madrid in, in recent weeks with uh, Sergio Ramos obviously sidelined. He he played here obviously, but he he's still not fully fit, and so Nacho. Do you remember the, the Manchester City game in the Champions League against Real Madrid last season and Varane had the worst game he's ever had in, <laughs> in his career? And that yeah. was a little bit of a trend. He was, he, I think he started that match alongside Eder Militao. And there's just a little bit of a Maguire-Lindelof thing. Going, sorry, Taylor. <laughs> there's a little <laughs> bit of a Maguire-Lindelof thing going on there where they're both good players, but they, they just don't complement each other. So Nacho's been favoured recently and Varane has just looked so much, so much uh, steadier. So I actually feel with... With uh, Nacho's form and and Ramos not fully fit, that might have forced Zidane in, into this back three. But but he has uh, he has he stumbled across something that suits this group of players, as I say, because it allows them to still have the midfield trio. I know Casemiro didn't start this game; it was Valverde. But you can have the the midfield trio of Kroos, Modric, Casemiro in there. You can have the width from Mendy and in this case uh, Lucas Vasquez, who are, are both. Um, they they're attacking uh, wing backs anyway, even if they were in a back four. So you're 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 keeping them in those positions. And then at the moment, yes, Real Madrid do have natural win- wingers, but Eden Hazard is is out injured at the moment. I know Asensio scored in this game, but he's he's not been great recently either. So it feels like a a, a good compromise at the moment to have a secondary striker who can kind of drift around carrying Benzema, and that's what Vinicius did in this game. Although. There's some brilliant moments of dribbling from Vinicius. Finishing, mm-hmm. 
less so good. But one of these days, he's yeah. gonna he's gonna score the greatest goal of all time, and I and I can't wait for that that day. For that particular solo run, um, the the best yeah. comment I saw online was a uh, uh, run by Messi, finished by Vinicius. Yeah. Uh, did you see Ramos's reaction to it? Because that yes. was the one that got me. <laughs> Just falling over with anger. <laughs> yeah, like and 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 Graham, I, I'm with you that if you bring uh, when Cas- Casemiro comes back from suspension, he can fit into the system. But also, I think like he, like fundamentally, when you have those three center backs there, you also don't have to have him. Which seems like a I feel uncomfortable even saying that about this Madrid team. But mm. the way they had different midfielders, be it Cruz, be it Modric, be it Valverde, dropping in and doing that kind of holding job, but then vacating space so somebody else could take it up. Like it, there was a lot of rotation there, and it felt like the Madrid of old. Of we're a very good team with a lot of very good players, and like we don't have to have that much of a defensive presence if we just keep the ball and cause you problems. And I think that system really did work. It's crazy to me that this is the first time I think he's used a back three, at least in the Champions League. And this is where I think we go back to the idea of Madrid's individual talents maybe making up for a lack of like technical training, at least in terms of this approach and this formation, whereas Atalanta, you would assume, playing the back three regularly and consistently and knowing what they need to do in this game and how they want to do it, that they came out and weren't able to execute, I think shows you the differences there, both in terms of the payroll, but also in terms of the kind of philosophy behind the team right now. Now, if Casemiro is fit, then Zidane plays Casemiro. That's like, that has to happen, right? Because Casemiro is Zidane's son. It's not like he yes. has any other sons who play for Real Madrid or anything like that. So I think yeah, that's... Uh, no, they've been demoted. Son. That's true. Yeah, he's got two, just two. Um, but this is a very impressive Real Madrid performance. And as I mentioned before, Kroos and Modric, Modric ran the show uh, like, like KDB did for Man City on, on this uh, week as well. Just so, so good. And one player who I think I've mentioned this before on this podcast, gents, is uh, who I think is actually incredibly underrated, Karim Benzema, who, mm. yes, he is, you know, a pretty a top-tier striker, but the way he's done it at Real Madrid for a decade, and he can still play like this, it's just, I, you know, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Graham? Yep, he's, he's, he's better now, I think, than he's, he's ever been. And, and, and if, you, if you see the... I don't have them to hand, but if you see this, the, his goal-scoring numbers from when Ronaldo was at the club, where he was a facilitator to Ronaldo, and he's just managed to switch it on in front of goal instantly as soon as Ronaldo left. And he's, he's scored you know, close to 20 goals or more than 20 goals in, in every season since then. And, and I think he's already at that point this season. Yeah, he's a brilliant player. I think in terms of an all-round centre-forward, maybe only um, Harry Kane can can compare to him at the moment which is saying something given that he's what 30 33 or something i mean yeah, Z- zidane yeah. just keeps getting this like this is an old team you look through this team now you know out of the, the back three that they played here Varane is the young one at 27 you know they've got Kroos, modric and obviously they normally they'd have casemiro in the middle and then benzema up front um even lucas Vas- vasquez is, is not mm-hmm. particularly young although in my mind he'll always be 24 uh, I think we had that once, Graham, where I asked you a question about like young Lucas Vasquez, and you're like, I think he's 28 now. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, whoops. Yeah. He's the, the Spanish uh, Jesse Lingard. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but, man, that is accurate. But, wow. That, like, there, is, there is definitely a tra- uh, generational transition coming for Real Madrid at some point in the future, but I, I wouldn't rule out you know, Zidane having a team full of, you know that, that, that J-League player who's 54 years old? Yeah, uh, and still playing in his twenty fifth season or something. That that might be carrying Benzema in ten years, like ten fifteen years from now. <laughs> Graham, with that in mind, like 
if they are going to sign one sort of marquee player, which does seem to be what they're aiming for, I think the reports of it being Kylian Mbappe makes sense yeah. to me. If you were make a, a decision maker, if you were brought in to advise, would you like encourage Real Madrid to go after a player who maybe compliments Benzema, which is what I would say Mbappe does, or would you go for somebody like Erling Haaland who maybe can compliment him, but also seems more like a long-term like-for-like replacement? Um, obviously... Kareem Benzema can finish from anywhere on the field. Haaland can finish from most places on the field, so he's got a little ways to go. But who who's the player that you would say maybe they should look to both for short-term and long-term solutions? If if Zidane is still at Real Madrid, M- Mbappe, because I feel Good like Mbappe point. and Benzema can play in the same team, whereas I feel like if... Uh, Erlen Haaland signs, and obviously he's he's you know a, a replacement for Benzema. He's as, as amazing as Erlen Haaland is, just be, because of the bond Zidane has with Benzema. Then uh, Haaland's going to be on the bench, <laughs> and I think yep. Luka Jovic can attest to that. A player who really, <laughs> really should have been given much more of a chance in Real, at Real Madrid and barely played in two seasons. So yeah, Mbappe. I think I think Mbappe and Benzema can play together. Mbappe. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm telling you things you already know here, but there's there's sort of a destiny that he will play for Real Madrid one day. Ronaldo was his 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 favorite player when he was at Real Madrid. So that that feels like if Real Madrid can find the cash somewhere, um, that that one will happen. I think. Mbappe and Benzema up top. 50% yes. French national team up top. I like that a lot. That sounds good. Um, we've mentioned Man City and um, Bayern Munich as uh, you know being the touted favourites for this competition, but I would not bet against Real Madrid doing it again, frankly, because you know we've seen Zidane do it, or evidently we've seen Zidane do it with this team, but with Real Madrid not necessarily being the best team in the competition either. What do we think? Has that theory got legs? Could you see this Real Madrid team making uh, putting Man City to the sword, for example, Graham? Um, yeah, I guess I could. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. Like this, this Real Madrid team are so difficult to to work out. Some games you watch them and and they struggle to get past Cadiz, who they've obviously lost to at home. Mm. This season, I do, I do feel like they they've lost a little bit of fear factor playing out at uh, Valdebebas this the, the, the past year. I feel like the not having the Bernabeu and certainly not having fans at the Bernabeu is is harming them maybe a little bit more than most teams. Their home record, it does feel like you can get at them at home. Um, but Zidane just no, there's 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 parallels between this season and Zidane's last season of his first stint, if you follow follow me, where they had a last sixteen tie against Paris uh, Saint Germain in that that season. And if Real Madrid had lost that, then I think Zidane it was an open secret he was going to lose his job. They win that tie and they go on to they they, they win that tie and they go on to win the whole competition for a, a third year in a row. So uh, uh, yeah, I'm certainly not discounting them. They even through muscle memory, I feel like they could win this this competition. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention from this game, gents, is the Muriel free kick. Very nicely taken as it was, a nice little routine. But we've seen uh, in several instances uh, in this round of games the player lying on the floor facing towards the goal controversially uh, rather than facing the ball. We can have that discussion again if we want to. But this free kick kind of proves that I think the next evolution of walls is going to be uh, like a cheerleading squad holding a player up above their heads, <laughs> like look lengthways, because, you know, you've got to, you've got to cover the, the, the bottom and the top of the wall now. Is uh, Are you with me, Taylor? I mean, I'm into it. And I think that's a thing that we should uh, definitely encourage teams to try out. I would love to have a player laying down behind the wall and then a player like laying down on top of the heads of the wall. I think that's a great idea. 
Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, in, I'm into it. I think it's great. <laughs> but which way would that player face who's been held above the wall? That's the question. Towards the goal? I think, I, it, I, think, I think you're facing the, the shooter this time. I think the one behind the wall is facing the goal, and I think the one on top is maybe, just, maybe they're just planking. Maybe they're just face down, and that's the way to deal with it. I mean, if you put all your players on the goal line, maybe that's the next evolution. <laughs> just 10, 10 outfield players on the goal line, then the shot's not going in, right? Yeah, we call that an indirect free yeah, kick. Yeah, <laughs> just make everything an indirect free kick. Yeah. Yep. Oh, very good. Any more to say I on this game, Jets? I think uh, make it a free kick is the official policy of any referee in the Champions League when Real Madrid are playing. Is that incorrect? <laughs> well, one of the things Sorry, talking about fans. refereeing, one of the things in this game I couldn't believe was the referee blowing the halftime whistle. Yeah, right. Yeah. God. When Atalanta, and I'm not going to say they were clean through and goal, but it was a, a goal-scoring opportunity. <laughs> it sure was. So this was uh, yeah, a, yeah. A, a very controversial incident here where, where yeah, Muriel was arguably through on goal, although he was through on goal shortly after the whistle blew. Uh, but what I would say in the defense of the situation is that Varane clearly stops running when the whistle happens and then Muriel sort of pushes through. So you could argue that Varane would have still been paying attention if the whistle hadn't blown. I get that. But also an inopportune moment for the referee to do that. And also, if you looked at the, the clock, it was 44-59. It hadn't even reached 45 minutes <laughs> and a goal had been scored in the game. So you presume there'd be just a little bit extra, a few extra seconds after 45 minutes. Uh, but according to the rules, you're not required to add time after a goal unless there is a quote, a significant delay, which I don't think there was in this instance, but it just felt like the, maybe the referee needed the bathroom. He just wanted to run That's back in there That's what I'm 100% as as choosing to believe. <laughs> 100% is that he was like, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go to go. 44, 59, this close enough, fine. Whistle blows, let's get inside. Yeah. yeah. If, if you say the other thing that you're thinking, Taylor, an Italian referee will send you off. So I think... There's that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't want that. I'm not trying to get red carded in the middle of the podcast. It would be hilarious, but uh, you're right. That, I'll just leave it there. Yeah, the, we don't want the TSS fire truck full of lawyers to be pulling up anytime soon uh, for that kind of incident. It we reminds really me, find a better vehicle. The fire truck is not the most efficient method of getting them all around, but it's the funniest. It is. That's true. But like a van <laughs> would probably accomplish the job pretty well. Too. But they're all hanging off the edge with their briefcases, you know, <laughs> flailing in the wind, flowing everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think yeah. This one reminds me of a game I went to, a Wimbledon game against Swansea in the cup uh, back in the 1990s. Uh, it was one-one, and it was the 90-something minute. Wimbledon have a corner. As soon as the ball is kicked from the corner, the referee blew the whistle. And what happens? Wimbledon score with a header. So it would have won it would have won the cup tie, but instead, because the referee blew the whistle when a corner was in midair, replay. Nonsense. Did you win the replay? Is there another podcast in the world that talks about Wimbledon as much as this one? <laughs> uh, no, and no, we did not win the replay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jen, should we move on to our next game? Why don't we? In fact, why don't we take a very quick break and then we're going to talk about Bayern Munich against Alatio. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But... 
For the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We are back by Munich against Lazio. This one finished 2-1 to the Germans, 6-2 on aggregate. Uh, by Munich have reached the quarterfinals of the UEFA Champions League for the 19th time more than any other side in the competition's history, uh, with uh, soccer, of course, starting in 1992, and there was nothing before that. So that's the basis of that stat from Opta Joe. Um, and speaking of Joe, Taylor, I think when I was discussing this game in our preview episode with him, we decided it was the most uh, lopsided mismatch mismatched fixture of mm-hmm. this round of games and we were right yes <laughs> yes we were uh yeah and i think i was responsible for previewing lazio and my takeaway was like maybe they'll be able to do something but it sure doesn't feel that way because again you don't have like the uh the depth that i think other champions league teams at this stage do have even with bayern having the injuries having some of the absences they're still able to bring through 17 year olds who score goals lazio i think for their part were probably in damage control mode for this game it didn't feel like one like normally i kind of have a moment of even if one game has gone a certain way i will be like ah should i watch that one or this one there's a little bit of debate there was no debate yeah. this time it never <laughs> felt like lazio were going to get back into it even when they do eventually score a goal i think uh the ball is then like chucked away by a lazio player cuz they know they're not pulling back five goals uh, at that point <laughs> it's it seemed unlikely at that point yeah. uh Graham, was there any virtues for Lazio from this game? I think Lozaberto was okay, I thought. Uh, close to threatening a couple of times, which may speak more to uh, Bayern's aforementioned inability to keep a clean sheet than anything else. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a chance in the opening 15 minutes for, uh, it must have been for Milinkovic-Savic, I think it was, yes. um, who gets on the end of a cross and it's a, a sort of a stooped diving header. I, I felt like 
in these sort of games, you need you need that that chance to go in for it to be entertaining. Had that gone in, yeah, it might have been it might have been a little bit more entertaining. But I'm totally with Taylor. I mean, I I ended up watching this game back because, to be perfectly honest, live I didn't pay much attention to it, especially after Bayern Munich, uh, you know, scored that first goal from from the penalty spot in, in the first half. It was pretty much a dead rubber so much so that uh, Eric Jupomoting uh, is uh, comes on in the second <laughs> half and, and 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 scores for Bayern Munich which wow what a career that that guy has had um, and yeah. having said that i think he's got two goals in five champions league games this season only and only two of them were were starts so not a, not a terrible record but i feel like uh, that might be a product of the players around him and the create the chances they might be creating what? for him not, yeah, no, not a right. bad finish though. Not a bad finish. <laughs> I mean, that no. move for that second goal was wonderful. Kimmich starting it, and then Alaba putting the ball through for two promoting, aka the man with the world's best agent, who has scored more Champions League goals than Bundesliga goals this season. <laughs> we can confirm. Uh, so yeah, that's that's very interesting. They can fall back on that kind of talent. But talking of talent for Bayern Munich. Uh, it was Joshua Kimmich, I thought, who was the standout player here. And it seems that whoscored.com agrees with me statistics-wise. Just complete control over the game. And as I say, starting the move for the second goal there as well. He is quite a talent. He is missed when he's absent and a very, very important part of this team, Taylor. Agreed. Because I think his calmness on the ball is such an underrated asset for him that when Bayern are trying to build I, I see him routinely sort of have a defender on his back but he's able to turn or he's able to kind of hold the ball and evaluate his options and then make the smart pass obviously sometimes he's dispossessed sometimes he gives it away but I feel like that happens far less regularly with Joshua Kimmich than I see with any other player and I think that's just so fundamental to the way Bayern want to play because if you have a player that you can it's it's the contrast with uh with Atalanta's goalkeeper if you have a player that is never going to give the ball away and you can sort of rely on that player to hold it and stay calm and then you can get into the space you need to occupy so he can then play the ball to you like that's just such an, a useful thing to have in a team and it's definitely what Joshua Kimmich brings as well as defensive stability and and a good presence in the middle of the field I think that partnership with Leon Goretzka is is very good and not as talked about uh, I, though I, I guess I'm now making it my personal quest you always talk about Goretzka in every single show <laughs> uh, but yeah th- those two but Kimmich especially uh, stood out to me as did Robert Lewandowski's weird penalty that was kind of awesome at the same time yeah and well, let's talk about that penalty on, on, on the same note of speaking about Goretzka as well I did feel so Sorry for Vedat Mariki, who who just wanted to give him a big hug. That's all he wanted to do. I mean, this is COVID times. You want a bit more contact these days. He just wanted to wrap his arms and give him a big old bear hug and have him to concede a penalty for that for that uh, act, which is a, a little yeah. bit tragic. But yeah, Graham, what did you make of uh, the penalty? I, I do enjoy wondering what Lewandowski is going to do from the penalty spot. And he he, uh, he very much sent the keeper the wrong way with his antics. You, you mean in terms of the way he kind of stutters his, his run up and waits for the the goalkeeper to go one way yeah and yeah yeah I mean I feel I feel like technically that must be I mean that's beyond me <laughs> I wouldn't be able to yep. to do that to to uh to, to choose it at the last moment but it's the, the amazing thing about it is he's he's once he does the little stall he's looking up he's telling the keeper I'm gonna put it that way but it's too late by that point it's brilliant and he, but the power he gets behind it as well is not a thing I'm used to. Like Joseph Martinez does that for Atlanta, but it's the hop and then it's the instep sort of passed once he's wrong footed the goalkeeper. Yeah. Lewandowski did all of that and yet still crushed the ball. Like I don't know how he's able to get that power 
and then the accuracy while, to Graham's point, staring down the goalkeeper, I would absolutely panic and hit that ball over, which is probably why I don't start for Bayern Munich consistently, <laughs> consistently and why I haven't scored 39 goals yeah. in one season. Well, that's one tri- of the few differences between you and Robert Lewandowski, I'd argue, Just, Taylor. Yeah, yeah. yeah if, that's if, it. If Triple Moting can get some game time for, for Bayern Munich, then Taylor, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, so you, you talk about Joseph Martinez penalty taking. <laughs> I, I always feel like um, there's a little bit of... Sometimes his penalties can be a little bit wild, whereas with Lewandowski, there's like it's full control. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it, yep. Martinez, when he does the little the little jump step, it feels like he could he could uh, you know kind of scoop it over the mm-hmm. or, or or kind of slice it in a, in a in a sort of skewed way off target. Whereas with Lewandowski, he, he gets a full kind of full in step connection with it. There's just full control with it. He's Never got like Terminator the, uh... targeting systems, is what I'm choosing to believe. That he sees everything in red, in like in like bright red with like white text underneath, a la the Terminator, and he can just exactly target the specific spot he needs to put the ball. Uh, he he's robotic, but also very creative, as uh, noted by his TikToks. And he, I think he approaches <laughs> oh his TikToks in the same way as his penalties: flair, creativity, poise, <laughs> style. Robert Lewandowski. The non-cheesiest striker in the world. Um, <laughs> uh, but as I mentioned earlier, uh, Graham, this, this Bayern Munich team are very, very, very good. There's no doubt about that. But no clean sheets in their last seven games. In the right circumstances, they can be got at. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that, that defence... Um, so I know Alfonso Davis is currently coming back from an, uh, an ankle injury. He... he, he um, he came on in this game, yeah, he did, and yeah, um, yeah. but he didn't. He didn't start, and then obviously David Alaba is on his way out of the club. Jerome Boateng is out of contract, and I know Benjamin Pavard is a is a is a World French. Cup winner, and yeah, he's around. French. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's around. He's a, he's a World Cup winner, but he's a little bit like the the Ringo star of Bayern Munich, and that he's not even the best drummer in his own band. <laughs> uh, and yeah, Kimmich is a better right back than him. So the the, the defense, Lucas Hernandez as a player, I'm I'm actually really interested in. I've got him in down in my notes. I know he that Flick plays him as a, as a left back primarily. That's where he's been played most of all this season. But having watched him at Atletico Madrid, I I, I think he might be better as as a centre back. And I do wonder with obviously Alaba and, and Boateng leaving at the end of the season. Um, Upamecano's already signed, so is he the Jerome Boateng replacement? And maybe Lucas Hernandez is going to be the left-sided centre-back and, and and that's his future at Bayern Munich. I think he's a great mm. player. He's Bayern Munich's record signing. It just feels like through injury and also Alfonso Davies being really, really good, um, he hasn't yep. been given much of a, a chance to prove himself over a, a sustained uh, number of games at Bayern Munich. But yeah, you're right. This, this defence feels like it can be got at. I think that's one of the biggest differences between last season and this season. Yeah, and one of the biggest differences between them and Manchester City, perhaps, as well. And we're talking about um, players who are coming on. Javi Martinez making a cameo in this one as well. And I, when he came on, I was like, oh, that's a blast from the past almost. And yep. um, <laughs> could, I, I just looked up his age. Anyone want to caution uh, a guess at Javi Martinez's age? He's quite... He's in his 30s now, isn't he? 34? Taylor? I'll take the under. I'll go 33. 32. You both ah, overestimated ah. our man, Javi. But I, I, I don't, don't, I don't uh, blame you for going over there because I'm pretty sure he played in the 1982 World Cup for Spain. So um, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's like Thomas Muller. He's ageless. He's like a fine wine, I suppose. Um, <laughs> is there anything more about this game we want to discuss? I mean, it didn't seem like there was a great deal of peril going on here. As we say, uh, this one 
you know, decided before before the game started, arguably. Any any more for any more on this one? Just that I feel like sort of all four of the games that we will end up discussing today, like they were all had maybe there's going to be something interesting and then pretty quickly they were over. Because even Madrid-Atalanta felt like, okay, Atalanta could try to get something back and then Madrid get that goal and that's kind of it. And the same thing for the game we're about to talk about. It just all four of these games, I think, by about the 60th minute, I was like, well... That's that. We, we, we know how this is going to go down. So I, what you're saying there is, Taylor, we should switch to the 2020 Champions League method and just have one-legged rounds in the knockout stages. I'm fully on board with you. Thank you for uh, verifying that for me. Is that right? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, did, nothing, did anything change between like, like the start of the match day and the end of the match day? Like, Weren't all the teams that were already going to go through, didn't they end up going through? could have watched like Zack Snyder's cut of that movie several times <laughs> instead of watching all these games you're right oh man I just hope it's even grittier than the grittiest superhero movie possible gritty the, I'm sure it will the mascot you mean or <laughs> yes yes I hope that gritty makes an appearance in Justice League the Green Lantern won't but the Philadelphia Flyers mascot absolutely should I he's got to be in so there much. somewhere if they, they're getting an extra two hours out of the movie he's got to be in there somewhere uh, anyway why don't we move on to the last game just, as... pie, just pie in characters in the face yeah I'll take that <laughs> crazy eyes I mean if they're gonna <laughs> CGI mustaches off of people in those movies they can cgi and gritty's crazy eyes i'm quite sure anyway let's move on chelsea against atletico madrid in this one uh, as as we noted not much peril here either after perhaps the first goal had gone in it was two nil on the night uh, um, and three nil um uh, in, on aggregate maybe a bit more peril in this one i'm not being quite fair to it uh but chelsea looking rather good they're unbeaten in 13 games all 13 games are under tommy tuchel in all competitions that's the longest ever unbeaten start by a manager for chelsea in the club's history another opta stat for you there uh graham it was tuchel i think who said that teams are scared to play us now yeah that was my bad uh, German impression. But what do you feel? Do you feel that Chelsea are a feared team to play right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I said earlier on the podcast that City were the clear favourites and I'd, I'd stand by that. But I think Chelsea have to be just that that tier below them. Um, mm. the, the, the impact that Tuchel has had, I don't think lends itself too much to... Oh, so obviously it's now... Some, what is, how many games is it? 12, 13, 13. games? Yeah, 13 games unbeaten. Um, and in, in the league, they have dropped points to a few teams that they, they should have beaten. Um, so they're still kind of scrambling for, for top four. But in, in, Europe, in European football, obviously, where you have the, the two-legged affairs, being defensively sound is, is a pretty good, uh, good quality hmm. to have. And, and, and this, in this game, even though they, they were very defensively sound, it was actually the, the three-pronged attack um, that that Tuchel went for in this game that I was that was really impressed with and for, yeah. for me right now the having Werner on the left Kai Havertz through the middle finally Kai Havertz is being seen as an attacker I don't know what Bayer Leverkusen games Frank Lampard was watching he is not a deep lying central midfielder or a winger <laughs> Frank he played a lot of last season as a number nine and so Thomas Tuchel obviously knows that and played him through the middle almost as I mean, it's such a cliche for any striker who who doesn't who isn't you know scoring thirty goals in a season, but a little bit like a Firmino type, where he's dropping deep and creating space in, in the wide areas for Werner on the left, and in this case, Ziyech on on the right to, to burst into. And yeah, I really I really like this this attacking unit. I really like the midfield unit and and the defensive units uh, numbers speak for themselves. So yeah, Chelsea are uh, contenders for sure. 
Definitely I mean, if this correct. Chelsea team, if Thomas Tuchel had been in charge since the beginning of the season, there's like, I am probably thinking of him as a genius. Because if you look at this lineup that he put out in the second leg against Atleti, the the big signings of the summer were like Mendy because um, because Kepa couldn't really be trusted, and then the front three like everybody else has kind of been there and and like knows their role that has some familiarity, but that front three are all new signings that he has found a way to make work in a way that Frank Lampard could not. And this game, I agree with Graham, was that front three just being really clinical and causing a ton of problems for Atleti. Uh, Kai Havertz especially finding pockets of space that they did not want him to find, mm. and they weren't really able to deal with that. I, th- I think the way he's gotten that front three to click in this game, but generally speaking, is really impressive. And then certainly the back line as well, the back three, that we went from Chelsea shipping goals and the whole conversation was, why do they spend so much money on the attack and never really invested in the back line? And Thiago Silva's, what happens if he misses games? And we have our answer. They don't concede goals. They've conceded, what, two in those 13 games, I think, uh, and scored 15. So I'm going to say in 12 or 13 games, no losses and a plus 13 goal difference is uh, all good signs for Chelsea. All good signs indeed. And surely guys, this is a damning indictment of Frank Lampard, how well this team is doing, how much better they are uh, in these last 13 games as well. And there are plenty of Chelsea fans out there who are still pretty bitter about the way that Frank Lampard was ousted from his team, and perhaps rightfully so, but you can't argue with the, the, you know, the tactics are, are superior, and he's making better from, from the sum of the parts he's got. I mean, you look at that first goal with Havertz, Werner, and Ziyech all combining, uh, and those are players that, you know, Lampard struggled to get on the field at the same time, if at all. Uh, and having those combined at the start of the season, you, as a Chelsea fan, you thought, yep, I'll take that in, in the knockout stages of the Champions League, having those three new players doing so well as they did. It's, and, and also, as you say, uh, being more, having more fortitude in defence as well. Taylor, it, it feels like this, with each passing game, Thomas Tuchel is slightly burying Lampard's managerial career. Yeah, you know in sci-fi movies when like they go into hypersleep and like th- like you know seven years go by but they've just been asleep for like five minutes. Like I feel like that's what the Frank Lampard stands need to do until Thomas Tuchel eventually implodes because there will be that point when oh, yeah. he is so demanding and so strict that then they can come back and say like, well, Frank Lampard would have had this team gelling and they would have been at barbecues. But until then, yeah, I think it's not uh, not a ringing endorsement for Frank Lampard as an attacking big club manager when. The replacement midseason, who did not want to be a midseason replacement and really wanted a full se- like summer, full preseason, instead comes in and gets this team playing well, seems to have calmed the nerves of some of the players who were pretty agitated about the way that the season was going and has gotten great performances out of like some players that we weren't really, I didn't expect Kurt Zuma to be the heart of that defense, for example, and yet right. here we are. And even the ability to rotate in midfield, where sometimes it's Jorginho and Kovacic, which means N'Golo Kante is sitting, and that feels like it would have been a bigger issue. It was a bigger issue with, say, Maurizio Sarri. But here it's sort of like, yeah, as long as they're playing well, it works. And so I think it's a it's a credit to him. It does not make Frank Lampard look that great. But I guess Thomas Tuchel probably doesn't care, at least not right now. I wouldn't have thought so. Maybe, maybe, maybe the majority of Chelsea fans too. And we've mentioned the attack and the defense there as being vastly improved. But also in this game, Graham, I thought that the middle of the park was very impressive as well, particularly Kovacic and Kante. I've made a theme in this episode of pointing out players who commanded the midfield this midweek. And Kovacic, I think, 
did did a very good job of that. And Kante, I mean, this it's been going around on social media. The engine he's got, and for that last goal in injury time, uh, uh, um, which Emerson put away with a really nice finish, by the way, and Pulisic getting an assist there too. It was Kante who also made the run with those with both goals coming on the counter attack, and this this being a big counter as well. But Kante's engine to get to the other box in seconds. It was very very impressive from him. Yeah, and it's one of the, the the more peculiar things about not just Lampard, I have to say, but also Maurizio Sarri before Lampard as well, is how the, the, both of them seem to take a player who was considered among the very best in the Premier League um, and for whatever reason, neither of them seem to fancy him much. I know inj- injuries were a, were a bit of a, a factor, but um, yeah, Kante seems to be back to his best I think his his partnership with Kovac, Kovacic is, is certainly the best for the center of that of that midfield yeah. Kovacic is a is a player who I, I'm a really big fan of and I, I think if we're talking about underrated players um with Taylor always mentioning uh Leon Goretzka I, I I would put forward Matteo Kovacic because I watched a lot of him at Real Madrid I thought it was a really really significant signing that that Chelsea were were able to get him when they did I know he hasn't always been consistent but I I feel like that's a lot down to the the managers that he's played under at Chelsea not truly understanding what to do with them and I think Tuchel it's a common theme across this uh, this Chelsea team at the moment but he he knows how to get the best out of Kovacic he understands what kind of player he is and I feel like that was a fundamental failing of Lampard's was he, he struggled to grasp the, the kind of players he had. I know I'm going back to Havertz, but that, that's, the, that's the best example of that. He, he didn't know what sort of player, what, sort of, what the qualities of Havertz uh, was as a player. And that, that extends to, to, to Kovacic as well. I think, yeah. I think well, sorry, yeah. on you go, Taylor. No, 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 no. I was, I was interrupting you. I was just going to say, I think one of the, the, the things that Tuchel has, one of the, the big things he's done is there's a clarity of thought from Tuchel that there wasn't from Lampard. Mm-hmm. So Lampard seemed to get bogged down in this, oh my God, I need I need to fit eight attackers into the same side and how am I going to do that? And I think Tuchel has just understood he's not going to be able to do that. He needs to just build a team out of the players that he likes and he feels are going to build a team. And yes, if that means, sorry American listeners, but if that means Christian Pulisic isn't getting many minutes. I know he comes on here and gets an assist, but that was kind of once the game's done. If he's not getting many minutes, if Hudson Adoy's not getting many minutes, if Tammy Abraham's not getting many minutes, then that's just the way it has to be because there are so many talented players at that club and that clarity is the difference between the two. I, I agree with everything you said there, Graham, both about Pulisic and Callum, Callum Hudson Adoy, but also about the way Tuchel approaches this team because there is a reality, and I'm not saying like if Frank Lampard is in charge, but there's a reality in which Atletico did come out with a different approach. They did sort of press high in a 4-2-3-1. They tried to make life difficult for Chelsea. They really tried to limit their ability to build out of the back. And like I didn't really expect that when I saw them in a 4-4-2, which was the kind of lineup shape. And I think the overall shape they were going for initially, I thought like, oh, here we go. It's going to be Atleti sitting and they're going to maybe occasionally go out. And that they went after the ball and tried to make Chelsea uncomfortable. That could have caught a different manager that could have created a lot of confusion and forced some changes. And I feel like Thomas Tuchel just sort of anticipated that. And the one that really stood out to me was when the ball would go all the way back to, to Mendy in goal. Atleti would step like four and five players high and try to block off options. And yet 
because Mendy can play the ball really well, there were still those outlets. There was still Reese James like with his feet on the touchline and a ball just kind of chipped into him and he would bring it down and away they go. Or if then I thought he would try to cover that, Conte's in the middle open or Kovacic is in the middle. And I felt like Atleti kept, it was like whack-a-mole, but they kept just being one mole behind. And so they kept missing all the spots and it was how Chelsea were able to play through it. But that's not Atletico's failing. It's not necessarily even a deficiency in their game. I think it's Chelsea just being set up in a way to succeed. And again, that's Thomas Tuchel getting his game plan right and getting the personnel right. And I guess everybody feeling confident and happy as a result, especially Kai Havertz, who we're just going to keep going back to as being such a key performer in this game. But he absolutely was. And a big part of that is Thomas Tuchel. Definitely. And I think Chelsea had a, a superior press to, to Atleti going on here who, you know, mm-hmm. it, it just wasn't quite their night and probably wasn't quite their night over the, the two legs of this as well. The, the passing was off in this game for them. Um, I saw them described as the Spanish Burnley, which I thought was a bit harsh on them, <laughs> but um, uh, I'm not sure about that one. But what, one of the ways in, in which they enforced themselves was in the typical Atleti style with a bit of poop housery as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Koke going pretty hard on Kovacic at one point, lots of other kind of fouls. Um, Atleti, they didn't know that Antonio Rudica's pain receptors in his chest are very, very receptive. <laughs> um, so when he gets a light elbow in his chest, he, you know, it's very, very painful for him. They, I wish they'd have known that before the game. Maybe um, maybe a, a Savage wouldn't have done that and got the red card for himself there. But um, there were some complaints about that red card, but it was an elbow in the box. Yeah. I, by the letter of the law, that's a red card. But I would contest that that was the least foully foul that Atleti did that night. Yeah, and the difference between um, that sort of poop housery and what Atleti are known for um, through the years was it, it wasn't designed to achieve anything from Savage. It was the game was the game was yeah. essentially done. Well said. And yeah. and basically it was just a moment of of petulance and, and frustration. Yeah. So it, uh, in in the past the, the kind of dark arts help Atletico Madrid and and that just that that wasn't uh yeah as I say it wasn't designed to do anything it it wasn't really part of of, of the game plan at all but yeah. in terms of refereeing um decisions I actually felt Atleti um were were they, they were entitled to feeling grieved aggrieved in the in the first half I think it was when is it Carrasco who gets kind of pulled yep. back um, yeah. and I was very surprised that that wasn't that wasn't uh, pulled back for a, for a penalty after a, a VAR check. I thought Chelsea got away with a little one. So that, uh, that was Aspilicueta, wasn't it? Who pulled, uh, who mm-hmm. nearly gave that way, won the way to Carrasco. A denial of a goal scoring opportunity, you could certainly argue, but it was peculiar that it did go to VAR and wasn't given. Any explanation for that, Taylor? My assumption would be just that Carrasco goes down too easily would be the, the, the kind of phrase that keeps getting repeated for people who didn't see it. Yeah, it's a bad back pass from Espelicueta, who then realizes uh, it's not going to get to Mendy in time. So he kind of gives Carrasco a little bit of a tug. I think it's a very smart gamesmanship sort of shirt tug of not like a full grasp where you pull them around and rip the shirt or anything like that. It's just enough to put the player off. And almost, I think that's kind of the problem for Atleti is that it's not enough that it seems like it really uh, infringes on Carrasco's ability to make that run, even though it probably does. And I think for Carrasco, he feels that pressure. He feels like, oh, maybe I'm not going to get the ball now, so I'm going to go down. And you kind of have to, because if he tries to run through that, then it looks like, oh, there's no infraction here let's just let the play play go on so it really is a a sort of i don't know what the 
best situation was for him because if he goes down, then it looks like he went down too easily. If he doesn't, then I think there's not going to be a penalty either. But I think there should have been because there's definitely a shirt pull. It's definitely a scramble from Aspilicueta. And really, it does change things if that does end up happening because at that point, he's not trying to play the ball. So that is a straight red. And then it's Chelsea playing a man down and things are square at that point, right? Because then it's one-to-one on aggregate, yeah. and it's all to play for. doesn't go that way. Credit to Diego Simeone afterwards for basically saying, like, nope, we were just not the better team in this one. Like, they tried to bring up the penalty. They tried to get him to talk about that. And I think he was pretty inclined to say, no, this was Chelsea's win, and we need to figure some things out. I think he said they need to reset before their, uh, their game this weekend. I think... Uh- he was wearing his what would Mourinho not do bracelet when he was uh, thinking about how to answer those questions, perhaps. Uh, but yeah, full, full credit to Simeone for handling that in that way. And that could have been a big turning point in this fixture indeed. Gents, we're about the quarter running time of a Zack Snyder cut right now. Anything else you want to say on this game before we uh, let, the, let the nice listeners go? Just, uh, I guess, Yao Felix is a, is a bit of a talking point for Atleti. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he felt like it was, in the second half, it was him versus the world a little bit, him being the only one willing to try and make something happen, which was really strange because here in the UK, the, the co-commentators here kept on picking on him for some reason. I felt like he was, in the second half, the only Atleti player doing himself any justice. But the, yeah. the old question of, is Atletico Madrid the right club for him, even when Atleti are, are doing well? Let's not forget Atleti are top of La Liga at the moment it still feels like a bit of an awkward fit so I wonder if there's an escape route to the Premier League to a city or even a Chelsea then uh, maybe yeah. he might take it that that does seem to be the prevailing narrative you're right Graham of here's this flair player that you brought in when you were going to change your style and be more proactive on the ball and instead Maybe you weren't proactive enough in this game, and you look at Marcos Llorente playing, I think, every single position on the field at various points last night, and, like, is that the type of system he wants? Is that what he wants to be doing? There there does seem to be a creeping idea that maybe if Atleti want to move to that next level and be a more successful attacking side, maybe it's with a different manager. I guess we'll have to wait and see how this season plays out, but this is an Atleti team that have only won, I think, three of their last ten. Their lead at the top of La Liga is very much shrinking. They're now out of the Champions League. It it doesn't feel like that sort of cohesive, defensive, like solid Atleti team we've seen in the past. I feel like there are more question marks than we're used to. And I think, to some extent, that is Diego Simeone not getting his tactics right here. I understand what he was trying to do, but that routinely it was Koke having to man-mark Havertz and Saul having to man-mark uh, Zayek makes sense, I guess, except that if those are your two central midfielders and you have everybody else kind of pressing, if they're pulled out of position, suddenly you are very vulnerable through that middle, uh, and especially on the counter, which is exactly what Chelsea did. And I, I think I come away from this one more uncertain about aspects of Diego Simeone's approach than ever, which I don't fully feel comfortable about, partially because he's been so consistent for so long, but also because mm. I feel like he might come and find me. And uh, <laughs> I don't want to fight Diego Simeone. I would lose that fight handily. <laughs> what on, on the note of uh, c- consistency or the lack thereof, Luis Suarez, we have a note on him as well, uh, making, mm-hmm. uh, making an early exit from this game. Uh, I'm reading an article from Marca at a moment, noting that he didn't score in this competition this season. It's been 25 mm-hmm. away games in a row that he's failed to score in the competition. Uh, the first striker to hold that dubious record. And they, uh, they calling the smile that he had when he came off the field uh, 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 ironic. Um, yeah. I'm not sure whether how to interpret it the way he went off the field, but it didn't seem super happy. <laughs> no, it, it, he looked like the player that Barcelona thought they were selling 
last summer. This was this mm. was the this was the the player that, that they were quite happy to let leave. Whereas, obviously, in the Liga, he's got I think seventeen goals and 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 has been very impressive. And that maybe Barcelona, uh, you know, regret letting him leave for his domestic form. But yeah, I think that it reminded me very much of the Madrid derby this game in the way that Atleti came out, pressed high for fifteen minutes, and in the Madrid derby they get the goal through Suarez, and and all of a sudden it's on. And they didn't get the goal in this mm-hmm. game, and and you're right to kind of tailor to to question Simeone a little bit. For the last ten minutes, they were they were playing Sal Sal at left wing back, Marcus Lorente at right wing back, Thomas Lamar as a deep lying central midfielder along alongside Koki. It just uh, my face was basically just the crooked smile emoji um, yeah. for the last ten minutes <laughs> of this of this game. Yeah, I think uh, Sid Lowe of The Guardian said it felt like he just sort of randomly pulled people off the bench and was like, uh, you're a central midfielder now. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, go do that. Like, it was it was a very sort of scattershot approach. I think your emoji is a better uh, a better thing to picture. Yeah, definitely throwing everything at it. This one was uh, was Diego Simeone in the second half to no effect for Spanish Burnley, who went out on the night 2-0, 3-0 on aggregate in this uh, in this round and we have one Spanish team remaining in the competition in Real Madrid we've got Porto representing Portugal uh, PSG from France three English teams Chelsea, Liverpool and Manchester City and the two German sides Bayern and Dortmund with the draw taking place on Friday morning uh, I'm not going to speculate on how that draw is going to go out but I just bet I would bet my house that Man City are going to get Porto I, I, just, I just feel it in my bones <laughs> Taylor any thoughts? Uh, I mean, I, I do. There are those like those pairings that just seem to happen. Uh, and that does probably mean that like Bayern are going to get Chelsea. That feels like one that we get a lot. So maybe yeah. we'll get that one again, too. Well, there are a bunch of potential uh, replays of former finals with that one being one as well that we could get. So that's very interesting to see how that one's going to shake out. We oh, shall PSG see. PSG Bayern in- too. Yeah, good yeah. call. Yeah. And we'll see that in due course. Uh, Taylor, thank you very much for joining us today on this show. It's been a pleasure as always, darling. It's been a pleasure as always for me, darling. <laughs> Graham Rutherford, a pleasure as always to have you. Twice in a week feels like quite a treat. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I'm away to brush up on my uh, Zack Snyder knowledge because I fell out of my depth here at points. So four hours of the new Justice League uh, should get me up to speed. Well, if you start it now, you might just be finished by a weekend review next Monday, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks, guys. We'll see you soon. Bye.